Thanks for the download. Thanks for the stream. Thanks for the listen to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. And this podcast survives through the love of you guys, the listeners. You're as big a part of the show as I am or as any of the guests are here on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. And there's a couple things that you can do that are free and easy to help keep this show free and easy to listen to. What I need you to do, if you haven't already, is go to your iTunes, click subscribe. Make sure you're subscribed to this podcast. Tell your friends who like wrestling podcasts to listen and subscribe as well. Also, leave a a review and a rating. All that stuff on iTunes really, really helps. If you click the five stars, if you type a quick review, hey, I love the show, whatever you want to do, that really helps along with your subscription and, and, which is all free, and if you're shopping on Amazon.com anyway, don't make any special trips. But if you're going to Amazon to pick up some things, please visit NotSam.com slash Amazon. It takes you right to Amazon. It's the same deal. But a couple, uh, couple of cents from your purchase will go to help this podcast. And, and if enough of you do it, it really adds up. And it really helps the show. So go to NotSam.com slash Amazon if you're shopping there. And other than that, just strap in. And enjoy this here Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Bonjour, parlez-vous français? Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. From Montreal, Canada. Yes, we're live from Montreal. Montreal, Canada this week on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. The uh, Roberts Traveling Studio has ventured into my hotel room here in Montreal. Um, I'm doing the show with Jim Norton, my SiriusXM show, uh, tomorrow morning, uh, Thursday. I guess this morning if you're downloading the show on time. And Friday morning. So this week, a couple days here at the Montreal Comedy Festival, but I thought to myself, like, if I was brazen enough to record an episode of this podcast from the maternity from the maternity ward of the hospital, I, what two days after my son was born, if I'm brazen enough to have an amazing guest like Wade Keller on the phone with me while my son is crying in the background. If I'm brazen enough for all that, then simply going across the country to host a couple shows at a comedy festival should not be reason enough to leave you without a Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. So it's not going to happen. We'll do it here. And also, you know, it being uh, SummerSlam time, quickly, quickly, quickly approaching. Uh, There's a lot of announcements to make. There's a lot of news to talk about. This is not the time to not be talking about the world of pro wrestling. So that's exactly what we're going to do today. Make sure you listen to the bridge segment, uh, that segment between the interview and the state of wrestling this week, because uh, I'll give you some details about what we've got planned uh, for SummerSlam week in terms of audience event. Is that plural? Oh boy, I'm very, very excited about it. Um, so much to talk about there. but for And of course, in the state of wrestling, I'll give you my take on, on Battleground. I was there for the pre-show. I heard a lot of you guys liked my haircut. I was there for the pre-show, and uh, I have a, a my take on, on the pay-per-view, uh, what happened on SmackDown this week, what happened on Raw this week. 
so much going on, but in the world of wrestling, it's more than just WWE. It's also uh, Ring of Honor. It's also Impact Wrestling. It's also New Japan Pro Wrestling. And when we talk about New Japan and WWE coming together, one name comes to mind, Jim Ross. Good old JR. He's a buddy of mine, and I haven't spoken to him uh, for an interview in quite some time. Uh, I think the last time I spoke to him face-to-face was probably WrestleMania weekend. But I just realized it had been a while. I just watched him call uh, the New Japan show a couple weeks ago. I heard about him doing the May Young Classic tournament. And and he does this great podcast every week. So I wanted his take on some of what's going on in the world of pro wrestling right now. On what's been going on in his world mainly. Um, and and so I reached out to him and asked him to do the podcast. And he, he obliged as always. He's got some – he also – along with me, has some cool live events coming up for SummerSlam weekend that we'll talk about uh, in this interview. SummerSlam week, I should say. But we, t- we cover a lot. We talk about uh, wrestling. We talk about what he's doing now. We talk about some of the controversy that surrounded his uh, last gig in New Japan uh, and, and how that correlates with his WWE deal, how he found out about the WWE deal, and we get a little personal. With the, with the recent loss of his wife, uh, that's kind of prevalent in his life. Uh, and so we talk about that too. A lot to break down with good old JR. We pretty much just scratched the surface, but we did it just for you. Here he is this week on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Good old JR, Jim Ross, with a side of barbecue sauce. Well, you provide the side of barbecue sauce. It's BYOB. And now, the Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast interview. Well, I think it's been way too long, but finally back here on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast, good old JR, Jim Ross. What's the haps, man? Hey, how you doing, Sam? Good to talk to you, buddy. Yeah, it's good to talk to you, too. First of all, uh, how was the weekend? I was following along a little bit on on Facebook and seeing some of the Twitter photos and everything. Uh, Who all did you get to see this weekend? Uh, I was in, for the fans who might not know, the one of the best-kept secrets in pro wrestling is the uh, Dan Gable Museum, which features the Luthez George Tragus Hall of Fame uh, wing, for lack of a better term, in Waterloo, Iowa. So every year they have a kind of a fundraiser, a Hall of Fame inductions, banquet, et cetera, et cetera. And I was the MC on Saturday. And uh, it's, it's a fun event. It's probably... Again, one of the more affordable, uh, personal, uh, fun events that uh, you can do if you're a fan. And uh, I can just tell you that anybody that hasn't seen the museum at some point, as a wrestling fan, they should they owe it to themselves at some point in time to to get by there. And it's not easy to get to because it's in Waterloo, and you know I flew from Oklahoma City to Dallas, Dallas to Cedar Rapids. <laughs> then by car from Cedar Rapids into Waterloo. So it's not easy to uh, facilitate, but it's damn sure, as they say about Briscoe Brothers, it's worth the drive. What kind of, what kind of stuff do they have? Oh, my God, it's just a – they have, they have uh, you know, stuff from the Luthez era all the way to current. Uh, oh. Ring attire, uh, really unique photos, video footage. Tights, uh, ring jackets, all kinds of cool stuff uh, that they've collected, and of course their their amateur wing is is even more thorough, 
thoroughly stocked with all kinds of famous Olympians, and a lot of guys that were great amateurs that turned pro over the years. It's just really a cool thing. If you're a fan of history, of amateur wrestling or pro wrestling, uh, the nostalgia stuff, it's really a, a cool place to go. And that weekend in uh, uh, that weekend in uh, in July next year will be uh, will be really cool. So I, I'm I'm a big bo- I'm a big uh, booster, Sam. Of, of they're trying to understand history and heritage. They're preserving it. They're getting new exhibits, new donations, new uh, items all the time. So it's a cool place to, uh, to to swing by and spend an afternoon. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like it. There's anytime you can just see stuff like all these artifacts. Cause I feel like anytime a wrestling museum, especially, is is curated like this, you end up seeing all this stuff that you might not have even thought about being in existence, but it, it floods back memories of, of whatever era you grew up with. Absolutely. And they got stuff from all over the place. It's really, uh, you know, family members, uh, sur- surviving family members, heirs, kids, grandkids, you know, they're able to, to, to give their stuff and donate their, their some of these items. It's really some intimate, personal things, letters, uh, again, uh, all this ring attire, and if you're a history, if you're a student of the game of wrestling, uh, you'll recognize some of that ring attire as, oh, I remember that picture of so and so when I was a kid. Like Gene Kaninsky wore this same uh, ring jacket forever, and it's hanging in the museum. And I'm thinking, you know, I saw it the show. That's what, that was a, when I was a younger guy. That was a picture. Kaninsky always wore that ring jacket. Right. So things like that to stand out, you know. And, of course, it's named after Luthez and his trainer, George Tragus. So there's a lot of Luthez stuff in there. And uh, it's just uh, they're, they're, the guys they've honored are pretty cool. So uh, it's, it's, a real, it's, a real, it's a real deal if you're a fan uh, and you're in that area. You know, uh, it's, it's just tough to get to, and, but it certainly can be done. What do you think of uh, either in in intention or execution? What do you think of WWE's uh, 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 decision or ability or trial to do that? It seems like over the last few years, Triple H specifically has has gone after those sort of historical documents and elements and items and things like that 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 represent the physical history of pro wrestling and are trying to get it all under the WWE roof, uh, theoretically, so that at some point it can be displayed, or at least so that it's in the hands, that, that they know whose hands that it's in. Do you think that that WWE is an organization that that should be the one, now that they kind of control at least you know pro wrestling for the for the better part of it in the United States, do you think WWE is the organization that should be kind of entrusted to preserve the history? I think so. Uh, if not them, who? Right. Uh, they have the best infrastructure. They have the most bodies, most hands on deck. You know, I think that they're, they've, they've become somewhat embedded uh, as WWE in Orlando. Certainly a great destination for travelers that want to see things like that. So, uh, I would. I don't have any inside knowledge, but I think that they're the certainly the the caretakers of the business by and large in that regard. 
in that respect. And I would think that, uh, you know, finding the right venue in Orlando or that area where tourists are uh, converging on a regular basis might be a, the best location for it. I think they'll do it at some point in time. I just We, we were talking about that back when I was uh, there in, uh, in administration. So it's been, a, it's been a long time talked about having a, a, a brick-and-mortar facility that can house all this, these wonderful artifacts. But at the end of the day, uh, they, it, has to, it has to make a little bit of money or you've got to pay your bills. Right. So the, I guess the question is based on your real estate investment. And, you know, they'd want to do it first class, as always. Uh, what, what, what would the investment be, and how does it look on the, on the P&L? So I love, I love the idea. I, I think people would visit it, but it's just all going to depend on, on the, uh, the structure of, of the deal. Because there won't be any shortage of items, artifacts. Uh, they'll have more than anybody else around. The key thing is, can they monetize it and make a couple of bucks on it? moving forward while preserving history. So that'll certainly be up to the real estate deal they do and how they handle all that. So, But I, I, believe, it's, I believe it's a great attraction. I think for them to do it is, uh, makes sense. Speaking of WWE deals, how I don't know if the word's surprised, or how do you feel in your current role with the WWE? Did you expect to one day kind of preserve the independence that you have, whether it be with taking outside work or your podcast and all this stuff, and still be able to kind of dabble a little bit into the WWE, whether it's for a match at WrestleMania here, you know, the May Young Classic over there. It's kind of uh, unprecedented what's going on with you and WWE at the moment. Yes, yeah, a different deal. Uh, I never really thought of it in the scope that you're describing, but others have uh, posed the same basic question, you know, and have made comments about, you know, JR's, you know, doing some work for New Japan, and, you know, there was a, somebody said, well, they're probably one of the reasons that the the New Japan gig I did July 1 and 2 in Long Beach uh, was not as uh, exactly what everybody would have wanted as far as just, I don't want to say hospitality, uh, communication may be a better word. Uh, that you know they were uh, they were not comfortable allegedly nobody's ever said this to me mm-hmm. that I signed with WWE again while honoring my contract with Access TV. The issue is very simple. I never worked for New Japan. I don't work for New Japan. I don't get paid by New Japan. I do voiceovers of their matches that they record uh, in Japan and that Access TV edits and airs on their network, and they pay me for my services. Really simple, straightforward deal. But uh, it, it took it on a life of its own. Well, they were counting on JR to be the voice of their expansion. The irony of that is, Sam, nobody mentioned that to me. <laughs> Not that it would have made any difference, but that conversation that others have about my status in that regard never included me. I never I never knew this information. So uh, I'm enjoying the opportunity to fulfill my contractual obligations, keep my word, I still believe that's very viable in today's world. Uh, and finish my obligations with Mark Cuban's company. They're great people. Uh, I enjoy working with Josh Barnett. I enjoyed uh, calling their matches. Uh, and it's an old-school product. It's pretty fundamentally sound, by and large, especially in their, in their singles matches. So I want to fulfill this deal. I don't know how it's going to go going forward. 
if WWE is going to allow me to continue or not. I don't know. We haven't discussed it, quite frankly. Uh, so we'll just have to see. But I'm, I'm enjoying staying busy. You know, when my wife Jen got killed in March, it, it really changed the game for me in many, many ways. And one of them is just simply I, I needed, and I still feel I need to stay busy. And I'm accomplishing that. So uh, yeah, I am in a unique situation. But WWE has no issues with my podcast. Uh, my book's coming out in October. They're going to help me promote my book. Uh, and so it's it's really good. I mean, they were very close to Jan as well. Her her wishes at the in the last days, we didn't know her for the last days, was for me to go back home, for us to go home, and kind of get my jersey back on my old team. Hmm. So... Uh, and we got to do that, and, and I just wish she had been there to, to see it, but uh, it wasn't meant to be, I guess. So, uh, But, you know, I'm, I'm enjoying staying busy. And there's no political agenda. There's no the wrestling bullshit, you know, all the this story, well, I don't know about this. And, you know, he's, there's no agendas. I had a contract with Access TV. WWE wanted to resign me. I was more than willing to wait until my contract ended. They were not. They wanted me to sign, and I did. I'm very happy with my deal. I'm doing 40 dates a year, and I did six of them at the May Young uh, in Orlando for the preparing and executing the May Young uh, Classic. And I'll do more days, uh, probably WrestleMania week in New York uh, when I'm there for in for WrestleMania week. Or, mean, excuse me, SummerSlam week. Yeah. And uh, and I got a lot of I got a lot of post production work to do on those uh, on those May Young shows. So. I like the schedule, Sam. I like being able to go work. I enjoy both companies are good to me, and I'm, I've got the best of both worlds. And uh, it's just funny how things come full circle sometimes if you just, you know, stay positive and and uh, and don't I don't, don't get the woe is me deal. You know, I I enjoy. I'm a wrestling fan. Yeah. So I'm 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 able to be around some pretty good wrestling product that's different and unique and diverse. So I kind of perceive that I'm a lucky guy. It's interesting, though, what you say about New Japan because, in other words, what I'm getting from you is this idea that you were going to be the voice of New Japan never even occurred to you because you didn't even have a deal with New Japan to begin with, that you were working for the television network that it airs on in America. So regardless of whether the television network likes you or not, that's not the New Japan company. Right. Yeah. I, I. And look, uh, people that people have talked about that, about you know my my apparent role, what was going to be my role going forward in their expansion in the states, uh, it's is a lot of it's somewhat a conjecture. It's just again, I haven't I've never heard that dialogue. And 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 I'm saying I don't work for New Japan. I look, I I support their brand. I, get, I try to get the talent over. Uh, we enjoy calling their matches. But we are Access TV guys. Right. And, uh, you know, the part of the issues that we had in Long Beach were very simplistic. It was poor communication. And, uh, you know, uh, how things were positioned was not quite accurate. Uh, you know, I felt bad for Kevin Kelly and Don Callis. That they, they were flown to Long Beach. And then when they, according to what I was told, they were telling guys they really weren't booked. Well, huh. you know, I don't have anything to do with their booking. I'm not their booker. I'm not the producer. I don't even work for their company. 
but we got a lot of the backlash on it because you know we were we were we were bogarting the uh, the airways, I guess. You know, I, I found out after the fact that the Saturday night feed for New Japan uh, on uh, the July first show that featured Okada and and Rhodes. Uh, we did the our call was on the New Japan World uh, app that night, but nobody told us. But it I didn't see. matter. I mean, it's not going to change the broadcast any. Mm-hmm. But that was the decision made by uh, the New Japan people that they, when they were given the option of who they wanted, on that occasion they wanted Barnett and myself. So, you know, I, but there was heat on that. There's angst. It was so such Mickey Mouse sophomore bullshit and it was it was unfortunate that it had to manifest itself and then of course the social media world gets to explore all that eavesdrop and and uh you know take a little peek inside and then then express themselves with what little information they have so you know and the, the, here's the irony is that i've helped support don Callis and lance storm's podcast still do still will uh on social media Kevin Kelly's been a friend of mine for twenty something years. If they had wanted to do if they had been if we got there and they said, Well, we're gonna have you guys do the live show on Saturday and the other guys do the show on Sunday, I wouldn't have cared. It's fine. Right. But for the for some of the guys on the roster to start uh they're loyal to their to their team of Kelly and Callis, and I admire that loyalty. But they didn't know all the facts when they started flapping their gums and uh you know, it created a a negative environment that was totally unnecessary. Do you also so, uh, do you also get a feeling when stuff like that happens? Do you get this feeling of like I don't need this? Because you just talked about how a lot of this stuff that you're doing right now is because you got to keep yourself busy because of the tragedy that you went through. The last thing that you need, while it's important to keep yourself busy, you don't need that compounded with bullshit from the locker room or you know, hypercritical comments from social media and all like a, like a, a dramatic situation to come out of something that really you're doing to keep your mind off of other stuff, not to create new stressful scenarios. Yeah. Right. It really is. Right. And when you, when you analyze, when you, yeah, when you explain it that way, it, it really, it, it, it embellishes the ridiculous nature of that whole, some of that, uh, behind the scenes machinations of that weekend. You know, we we had a we had a lot of fun. Josh and I did, uh, and little I had no idea that that we were allegedly walking into a, you know, a, a, a I didn't have any idea that there was any issues whatsoever. Uh, so, you know, that's that, a lot of that is just a byproduct of old school wrestling. It isn't anything that is, uh, you know, I, I I'll give you an example. It isn't anything I was going to say that I haven't experienced before. It's a wrestling business. And the wrestling business is wrought with paranoia and insecurity. It always has been. It always will be. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm on the product or the business. It's just the way that it is. And I understand that. I, I understand the, 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 term, the rules of engagement. And I had not prepared for that particular uh, uh, bad trait to raise, rear its ugly head in Long Beach. But it did for some guys. And some guys, you know, we go out with a, with a New Japan officials and, and their champion after the show on Sunday night. Not a word was said. There was, you know, everybody was happy. The camaraderie was great. So it was only a small handful of guys 
that express themselves, uh, and some, but the majority of the roster was fine. Uh, but it's just silly, it's childish bullshit, and I just you roll with it, man. The bottom line was that we got to call live wrestling in the arena. It was a blast. They have an excellent product, and we were fortunate enough to be uh, on, at present on two nights that they had some kick-ass bookings, and they uh, they they made a big impact for their fan base uh, on uh, that first weekend in July. So I'm really glad I got to do it, and I'd love to do more, uh, but I'll be more prepared. Uh, I know the lay of the land a little better, but it's not going to change how I go to work, how I prepare for work, or whatever. A lot of people made a big deal out of me misidentifying uh, the Briscoe brothers, and I apologize to both guys. We got bad information. I should have followed up, and uh, and I didn't. It's my fault. You know, I, I own it, so what the hell? It's my fault. But I looked them in the eye on Sunday and said, I screwed you guys up yesterday. I misidentified you. I didn't mean to. They were fine. They have grown up listening to my work. They're fine. And they knew that I didn't do it on purpose. They knew that my goal was to get, to get talent over and I mm-hmm. did that. What guys don't understand is you work a very fast pace, Sam, and you have multiple people in a match, eight-man tags, four-man, uh, four-team tags, that kind of thing. They're more concerned about uh, going from spot A to spot B that's out of their, uh, their individual playbooks. And so there's very little time to, quote-unquote, get anybody over because they work so fast, it's hard to continue to process what you're seeing. And so a lot of the selling is omitted from the process. And so when guys are selling, what they some don't get is that while I'm selling, it gives the broadcasters time to tell my story. Right. And, but when, I'm, when there's emotion going boom, 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 it's hard to jump in and, and, and give background or the scope of the match or the importance of that move or how, how bad this guy's hurting or can he survive. All the things you, you want to address in that process, you can't do it because it's a perpetual motion, I've got to get my shit in type scenario. And so it's hard sometimes to be traditional on that. And it's hard for guys to be heels and hard to guys to – everybody's about a quasi-baby face. So it's, it's, it's a different breed of cat. So, but what I do love to do, and it's coming up, we'll be doing these voiceover tracks at STV of the ongoing G1 tournament. Well, those are single matches. And those are the best to call for us because it's a straight line. It's wrestler A against wrestler B. Here's what's at stake. Here's where they are at a point total. There's a lot of documentation to bring stories forward. But you're doing it with two people that are still incorporating the basic fundamentals of wrestling, of selling and drama and a little let me up every now and then and, and you know, all that good stuff. So uh, I had a great time doing it. And, and these G1s that will be coming up that will be airing on Friday nights on Access TV. Uh, and if people don't know where it is, you know, it's, you can look online. It's, it's on more cable companies now than uh, on more cable companies than, than in the past by far. I watch it on DirecTV Channel 340. So... Uh, on Friday night. So it's a good, it's a fun show, but I had a good time and, and I'm making probably way too much because I just really haven't expressed myself too much on this deal. Yeah. Uh, I'm not losing sleep over it. I mean, I, I enjoyed it. I, I respect the guy, even the guys that knocked me, you know, uh, got the right to an opinion. I just gave you my opinion on, on some of the, some of the work. 
objectively, I didn't put anybody on the bus and you know stick a knife in somebody's heart, but I, it's, it's an opinion. It's a personal take. So it was all good stuff, and uh, and we're looking forward to doing more. Does this does does a show like that or or shows like this working with Access and New Japan change your perspective of the WWE machine? Meaning that, like, you know, being produced and, and so many cooks being in the kitchen and somebody being in your ear and, and there just being so much control with WWE. Because the positive, obviously, of doing what you do with Access in New Japan and other places is that you get to do whatever you want. That there's no person, there's no Vince McMahon, there's no whoever over your head telling you exactly what to do and exactly how to tell the story. On the negative swing of things you end up in scenarios like you were talking about. There's disorganization, there's uh, a lack of communication, and there's a lack of that production, which when you're, a, when you're a commentator, when you're a broadcaster, when you're a play-by-play man, those are the elements that, that are going to help you tell a story in a cohesive way for TV. So, so does an experience like that make you go, oh, you know what, Like some of those things that really get on my nerves – actually have a great purpose yeah absolutely uh you're spot on there the first of all uh not an indictment on any promotion but quite frankly uh nobody does television in the arenas that wwe uh utilizes better than wwe in the story yeah. Uh, nobody that does wrestling on television. No, and no one that does combat sports on television, including USC and Bellator, who have solid broadcasts, good-looking broadcasts. Bellator's getting better all the time, and USC's been good for quite a while. But nobody does it better than WWE. So as a talent, you appreciate all those uh, situations. You appreciate having a, a, a real keen audio guy that can make sure your levels are good as you well know when you're sitting out there in a live environment and you're going to hit you got your on you, you really need those to be right because it can be very distracting uh, it can take your mind off what you need to be focusing on so uh but nobody does tv better than those guys and th- that weekend just kind of reminded me of uh lesser budgeted pro wrestling shows that i had worked on many many of them you know, guys, got to remember, I did, gosh, I did Smoky Mountain Wrestling, small budget. Uh, I, I've done Mid-South Wrestling, two two or three cameras shoot. Uh, I remember it was a big deal when we got headsets because we used to just work off of, uh, we took our signals, our, our instructions from a floor floor manager, didn't have con- communication to the truck, and we used a stick mic. So I've been through that whole gambit of things since the 70s about television being what it was. And quite frankly, wrestling promoters that I worked for in the past, uh, back in the day, were much more concerned about saving a couple bucks than doing it quite often. And they certainly didn't do it for the convenience of the talent, on-air talent. And WWE produces television with the on-air talent in mind to make sure that their audio is good, they got a good line of sight, their monitors are prominent, all these things. So... uh, you got security around your, your announced position so you're not interrupted while, you know, uh, you're working. So it, it's a big difference to go from WWE to anybody. Uh, I can only equate it. must be like some of the frontline NFL teams where, you, have a, you know, your 
you got a real good unit that travels and does their business. That's kind of what I envision WWE to be like. This is nothing like it I've ever encountered. And I've done boxing for CBS. I've done MMA, pay-per-views, you know, uh, football and all these things. They're all fun, and I enjoyed all those gigs, Sam. But, boy, when you're, the WWE knows how to do television, and it's just easier for the talent. And, look, you can speak this as good as I can because you, you've been on the mic for those guys' game shows and their post-game shows and other projects a lot in the last uh, since we talked last. Yeah. So you know they're 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 it's not an indictment on anybody. Well JR was he was really knocking access to I'm not knocking anybody. It's a it's a statement of fact. Nobody that I have ever been associated with or, or worked for or watched re- regularly does T V better than WWE. It's just the way that it is. They spend more money on it, they have a better bigger crew they got uh, more depth in the talented positions with the audio people and the cameramen and all these type of things. So uh, just like doing the May Young piece of business, that I did that after I did Long Beach. There's a big difference in that deal, big difference. Yeah, I mean, just for me being there for the last few months and doing the pay-per-views, like I, I, I've been blown away at how it's done and just being around it I've learned so much. I've gone back to working at Sirius and kind of – shifted my vision on how you we can operate the teams that we have and 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 utilize people better and and watching you know I watched the show differently you know when I watch Ring of Honor now there's just something in my brain and maybe it's just through osmosis I just pick up the basics of the basics I'm thinking well why isn't that camera shot being utilized or or the New Japan the live show when I was watching uh the live show I was I was thinking why are those walls so bare the walls in the background are so bare and if you could just put something on there or add a set of bleachers in the back or do something it just looks like a better show and I, I think the only reason that my mind goes there are because I've watched producers that work for WWE paying attention to every single detail that you could conceive of right. it's, it's extraordinary well, and the, what they do, here's how I learned to, to deal with that, uh, is I look at it that they're trying to protect me. Yeah. As a talent, they want to put every tool that allows me to utilize my skill set to whatever level that may be, and that's sort of subjective as well, uh, but they want to make sure that I'm protected in the sense of not you're not working without a net, even though it might be live, live. You still got backup. You still got all kinds of preparation. You got the tools you need to be successful. So that's kind of where we were on that deal. You know, the the budget uh, for you know New Japan was thing was first time in. They didn't. They used to. They four walled a, a venue. They didn't even have bleachers for that show. The, everything was on the flat. Right. If I'm a fan, I'm sitting in the back uh, on on the floor. I'm pissed off because right. everybody's standing. You can't see. Uh, they didn't have the big monitors overhead that, uh, you know, could, could relay the, the video. So it was just a, it was a tougher deal. And I'm sure when they come back, and, I, and I'm assuming that they will, they say they are, that they'll spend more money. And they'll go to a regular arena and not do a convention hall that's, on, that's just a four wall where you gotta, you gotta you got to put everything together, including the locker rooms. So it's, it, the building was full and the enthusiasm was great. I got no issues with Long Beach, but it wasn't the it wasn't the right venue. In hindsight, I must stress to utilize for their inaugural visit. It just 
it probably cost them more money to, to stage it and to set the building up than it would necessarily have needed. So, uh, but, you know, the bottom line is that people come to their shows, I believe, not for so much the aesthetics and the pyro and uh, the music and all those things, the light show and all that. They come to watch bell-to-bell wrestling. Yeah. And I think as far as that's concerned, they got exactly what they wanted. Yeah, I think that's a great point, too. That's a really good point. I haven't spoken to you since WrestleMania, I don't think, or around that time. Uh, what was the conversation and who was it with that led you back to calling that Undertaker match and obviously uh, leading you back down the road that you're on now with the deal for 40 dates? Uh, Vince McMahon's idea was to bring me back. Uh, it was Vince McMahon's idea to uh, have me call uh, the Undertaker's match. I am under the impression that Undertaker had made that suggestion as well when he heard that there was a chance I might come back. Uh, and Kevin Dunn was crucial in the whole negotiation. Uh, Kevin and I have been, you know, uh, for years, you know, Vince would say, you know, depending on how the meeting was going or where we were, this is my number one guy, this is my number two guy. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's all about talent and television or television and talent. Vince will always say that his, the two top elements to make his company successful are, is twofold, and that's talent and television. So uh, Kevin and I worked hand-in-hand on that, you know, as far as our our pay, uh, our stock business, all those things. You know, we were on equal footing there for years and years until I moved back to Oklahoma and and tagged out, uh, which had a lot to do with my health, which I explained in my my book a little bit. I never made a big deal out of it, and uh, plus some dependency on some some prescription medications that, that were problematic. That I had to dress, and I dressed on my own, and didn't, and I took care of. It, so it's also in the book. But you know, Kevin was big for me, and uh, uh, and helped me a great deal. Still does, still is. You know, he was for, he's been in my home. He says his boys in my home to come down to OU football games. You know, my wife Jan was a great hostess, and she loved those kids, and she made their bedroom up like an OU locker room with jerseys and swag and memorabilia. That's the kind of woman she was, and so. You know, his boys now are older and uh, college age and late high school age, but they haven't forgotten the time they had here, and that was thanks to her. God bless her. So Kevin and I have got a good communication. You know, we don't always agree. I'm sure that we don't have the same philosophy on what we both like to see bell to bell, but that, to me, is, is so overplayed in the wrestling jargon anyway. Uh, you know, if somebody doesn't have a the same – philosophical sameness we look at because they don't agree with us saying that they're wrong or we want to start an argument or we want to become combative which is so a waste of time and energy so kevin was my guy but it all started with vince vince is the one that vince is the one that, that cut the deal uh and i'll tell you you know he knows me so well the the when you do negotiations with any company generally center around the dollar offer the offer, term and conditions. And uh, my term and conditions were the first thing that we addressed, and it was addressed in probably less than five minutes. It was a good deal from the get-go. It was exactly what I was looking for. Uh, it, there was very little negotiation done on dollars and cents. I thought the offer was extremely fair. And uh, so, 
and again, my wife's uh, thoughts were weighed heavily. You know, she said, "Let's get your jersey back." So we got, so I've got my jersey back now. So, but I think you know, Vince was big on this deal, uh, and 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 Kevin, and and uh, and Paul Levesque has been a huge uh, ally of mine and a booster of my work uh, for years. How does that? Uh, so, how does that work? I, I'm curious about the Triple H relationship because that is that's a unique one in the sense that you. Were, were his boss when he was just a talent. Like, even before all this, when he's just coming up, Hunter Hearst Helmsley into Triple H, into DX, like, you were in charge of talent as this guy is developing, and just as, as the world works, as things evolved, he's taken on this new prominent role. Uh, is that surprising? Is it difficult? Or is it is it quite easy? No, it's a... Uh... He has always been, you know, the, uh, we got, you know, I gave him the nickname the Cerebral Assassin because it fit his uh, character as a wrestling heel and a smart, cagey, uh, you know, kind of a, a deadly planner, strategist uh, that has the physical skills to be very dangerous. So, hence the Cerebral Assassin came about, just on, came to my head one night on an entrance uh, on TV. And uh, Vince loved it, and Triple H has obviously embraced it. So that became kind of his 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 uh, calling card. But you know the game thing. Uh, he he was he was becoming the best in the game in a lot of areas. And the quickest example I can give you is that when DX and some of the guys DX could be uh, challenging to deal with. Uh, at that point in their lives, the decisions they were making, the lifestyle, uh, the road schedule, uh, the wealth that was coming their way, everybody was, you know, most of those guys were uh, in that in that booking realm were making seven figures plus a year. But when I had an issue that I didn't feel like I needed to play my, a trump card and I needed somebody to address it, it within that entity, it was always, Triple H was always the go-to because he was a good communicator he could uh, communicate with his rowdy friends, and uh, we generally got things taken care of. So I could tell all along that he was going to be a great leader. He had a real good vision, good feel. He could always add a little something to a scenario to make it better. And here's the key thing. He had the ability to look at other people's storylines and angles and make viable suggestions on what they were doing to make what they were doing better. And most top guys have that ability to do it for themselves, but they're not as forthcoming to help somebody else with ideas to get them over and, and, and be more successful because of the, again, the paranoia and the anxiety and the insecurities that people have sometimes in that regard. I don't want to, oh, God, I can't embellish my own competition. Right. Of course you can. Uh, it's a team effort here. The team, if the, I used to tell guys this all the time. It's, our, it's incumbent upon us as employees and talents uh, getting paid by WWE to keep the goose happy and healthy, more specifically. Happy might be too much to ask. Healthy <laughs> isn't. And a healthy goose lays more golden eggs, man, and I want some. I want my share. Right. So uh, that's where I saw him. He was just going to be – he always knew that he was going to be – if it's in a territory days, you say, well, this guy's not only going to be a top hand, 
He's going to make somebody a great booker someday in a territory. But he's obviously become this administrator of uh, of significant prominence. And so I I, uh, I spent a lot of time with him in Orlando. Uh, and I can tell you, he's 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 evolving into the real deal, man. I mean, he's he's really uh, really observant. He pays attention. Uh, he is open for suggestions. But I love his philosophy, and I love what he's about as far as the product is concerned. So, uh, if anybody on the roster that I can go back and look at that I could have said, well, this guy's going to be a a star administrator. I can't think of anybody that I have rated above him. He just was immersed in the, in the genre, the product, the history, the heritage, the future, and the fact that he would go above and beyond to help somebody else with a storyline idea or idea for their persona. All that stuff uh, impressed me, and it still does. Yeah, I mean, I've watched, without telling tales out of school, I've watched him before shows and things like that, and it really is It's exciting to see... <laughs> his level of, uh, of involvement and, and what he's doing. You know, I watch from afar, so I can, I can only kind of gauge on what he's doing, but it's, uh, it's a really exciting thing to see. What did, what, did you, uh, what did you think about the decision for Roman Reigns to be the guy to, uh, you know, conceivably, it would seem, retire The Undertaker? Sam, as uh, somebody that's done booking and been involved in that process, at some point you got to pull the trigger and go with somebody that you believe is the right choice. Uh, and whether the, the issue of the reigns, to me, from the fan, fan base, is the fact that it seemed like people had the biggest bitch regarding the fact that he was a, positioned as a fan favorite and not a villain. Uh, because I never heard anybody, oh, the guy's lazy, he's out of shape, he didn't work hard, he, he, he couldn't break an egg, he's not very physical, you can't rely on him, you know, blah, blah, blah. So none of those things were, have I've heard that I've heard have been those issues. It's simply that they think many fans are vocal, think he's miscast. I think in recent weeks uh, we're seeing Roman Reigns get accepted more, as a star, and not necessarily he's the baby face or is he a heel. My my goal, I said this in my podcast many times, that the goal is to make him a star, not to make him a baby face or a heel. That'll all work out. And the audience today is so sophisticated and so smart that if you try to lead them one way or the other, uh, then you're doing yourself a disservice more, more often than not. So I didn't really have an issue with it at all. You know, I was, when I was. Kevin Dunn says, hey, Vince wants you to call a match at WrestleMania. I said, great. And, uh, and I was kidding. So I, I, bought my, I, brought, I, I brought my attire with me. And he laughed. Of course, I was prepared. Old school guys, right? Bring it up. <laughs> yeah. Just in case. <laughs> so on Friday night uh, before WrestleMania, 48 hours before WrestleMania, I signed my deal. And on Saturday, uh, it was, I was informed that, that uh, Vince wanted me to call a match. And I said, great. And uh, I was getting ready to end the conversation, and Kevin said, well, don't you want to know what you're going to call? I said, oh, sure. You know, <laughs> it didn't really matter. I mean, I was just glad to be back on the, you know, on the traveling squad, so to speak. And he said, you're going to call the takers match with uh, Reigns. It's going on last. So that kind of told me pretty much everything I needed to know. 
number one, Vince has booked me to come back in the most ideal way, coming on last uh, as he could. Uh, I could have done any better myself if I wanted to own the territory and wanted to book myself. It was perfect booking for me. But also it told me that if Taker's going to work with Reigns uh, at the last match, that, uh, you know, maybe I have accidentally found myself into calling the, the great Undertaker's last match ever. Now, that has not been confirmed to me, yay or nay, nor was it that day. Uh, but, you know, I could just do a little bit of, uh, you know, de- deducing the, the, the data. This might be it for, for the dead man. So I was, it, that was exciting in that regard. So, you know, I, I just, it didn't matter what match I called, but I was so honored to call that one. And, you know, I worked. it was a three-man booth. Uh, as you remember, and it was just, it's kind of surreal, man. It was really, my wife had been dead like uh, nine days. Right. And uh, so I'm still kind of in the twilight zone of emotions and trying to uh, fend off my emotions with immersing myself into my career that weekend, that match, this, the memories, whatever. I had to get away from all the negativity and uh, so I could enjoy the process. And I did. I thoroughly enjoyed the process. Now, when I got home, and the first time I came home in 25 years from a road trip that either Jan was not with me or was not home waiting on me. And that was a little harder to uh, adjust to because it was all the adulation. You're always great to see you back, JR. Sorry what happened get the hugs and all the stuff. It was great. I loved it. I needed it. But boy, when you walk in that empty house, it's a different ball game. So, uh, it was bittersweet, but I'm really glad I, and I'm glad that, you know, that between Vince and Kevin and, and, uh, and Hunter, uh, you know, it all got taken care of and they've been so good as far as, you know, I'm up to my ass in this, uh, in a, uh, negligent homicide case with my, uh, this minor kid makes it even more complicated and even more sad that uh, ran over Jan and I'm I got I'm involved in that there's a lawsuit pending and there's all kinds of things that you go through Sam hope you never ever in your lifetime have to experience my friend yeah uh, and it's just you can't I can't even I can't even verbalize how it is well, it's I mean, still shocking yeah I can't imagine what a nightmare it was I was I I didn't even know how to verbalize it to you when I saw you that weekend as I'm sure most people didn't quite know the words to say but especially when you have legal you know stuff that are causing it to just keep going and going and not not allow that sort of closure to click in because there's there's just more stuff surrounding you know the worst thing that's ever happened to you uh it's got to be difficult did you I something I was wondering you know on a personal level because I get what you were doing, especially that weekend, which is just distancing yourself from it and completely investing yourself in your other love and, and avoiding that. Did you take time after the show, when you got home, to kind of grieve in real life? Because I think it, you know it's important, as awful as it is, to have that experience too. Yeah, I I, uh, I didn't earmark the time, but you just can't. I couldn't. I can't separate myself from it. It's still a process. Uh, you know, I, I little things. Uh, little things are just uh, 
can become really big things. Uh, you know, I hear music, you know, uh, that she and I enjoy together, and it reminds me of a certain time, and, you know, like my eyes would get filled with tears, and, uh, you know, I, I find myself sometimes getting when I'm alone, where I'm not so egocentric, and I don't mind people, you know, I'm, there's nobody here to for me to hide from my, my emotions. Uh, it comes on. A lot of times I'm tired, fatigued, late at night, and I think about her, and it's just more than I can handle for that few moments. Uh, you know, the 4th of July was hard because we always had fun on the 4th of July, you know, and cooking out and seeing friends and pool time. And and then I was watching, actually, on Access TV, a special on the Beach Boys, and there were songs on the Beach Boys uh, that we used to laugh about because it's more my generation than hers. <laughs> Uh, but you know that was—it's just it's tough. So I don't know that there's a there's no manual. Yeah. I don't know what I'm supposed to do or not supposed to do. I'm trying to live. Uh, I'm trying to continue living and having enjoying life. You know, I got two real healthy daughters, uh, two granddaughters. That are you know, one's going to be in the ninth grade actually. So I'm uh, I got a beautiful family and I got friends. And football season's coming up soon, and I you know I have my Oklahoma. Uh, family here, the OU family that takes good care of me, and you know I'm always welcome on the team plane, and I go stay at the team hotel in the away games. So I'm uh, I love that whole atmosphere. So it's a, uh, but I, I I don't know I don't know, I don't know how to. There was no manual, Sam. I don't know what you're supposed to do. I don't know I don't know when I stop crying. You know I don't, I'm crying less. I'm I'm, a, I'm a less uh, tore up uh, than I was. It's getting a little better. But it's never. I'm never. It's never going to be a. The void will always be there, to some degree. I just got to find more things to surround that void with, that can keep me focused on those things, and not on the fact that, you know, my wife is dead, and uh, she was 30 seconds from being in our garage in her little Vespa, when this kid ran over her, and then of course we got to under. We got to go through a trial, so that's not going to be pleasant, and. Uh, but it is what it is. I, people have it worse than me, and I, and I understand that. And I, I just I appreciate what they're going through, trials and tribulations. But I, I'm not out of the woods yet. But I'm better than I was. But there, there's just no, there's just no manual, man. There's no, right. there's nothing you can Google. Say, how do I grieve? Best way to grieve. <laughs> I, yeah. I haven't found any of that information right now. This too uh, handy. Well, I, I mean, I would imagine though. Yeah, I think pro wrestling is. In all aspects, it's it's escapism, right? And whether you're a kid or or an adult, that's what it's designed to do. As all entertainment is designed to be escapism. So I would think that in moments like this, on some level, you just thank God for things like pro wrestling, f college football, whatever it is that that is just kind of there for you. You know? Yeah, absolutely. I I I try to. I, I don't have to look hard to come up with a list of things to a list of blessings to be thankful for. Right. I got a lot of them. Health, you know, my children, and my friends. Uh, you know, I got I'm I'm doing wrestling again. Uh, you know, I, I expect I expect to be with WWE for the rest of my days. Uh, I got a two year contract with them. But I think, you know, we've already started talking about going past that. Uh, I don't know what they're going to say. Uh, 
uh, you know, the, I don't know what they're going to say about the access uh, component. And, you know, that's going to be the WWE call. If they want me to be exclusive uh, under the current auspices of my contract, then that's what we'll do. But I could also see them saying, look, you enjoy doing it. You do it a couple days a month in the voiceover in the studio. Uh, go ahead and go make the money. And so you enjoy yourself. There's nothing wrong with that. Keep your keep your skills sharp. Right. So, uh, you know, since I signed this deal, I, I did WrestleMania. I did a uh, match at the TakeOver show in Chicago uh, with uh, those two young kids from uh, the U.K., uh, Pete Dunn and uh, Tyler Bate. You know, had a hell of a match. You know, like, and I enjoyed working with Nigel McGinnis on that. I did some stuff with Nigel on the UK show. If we do a UK show, uh, a UK exclusive broadcast, I, I, my sense of it is that it'll be Nigel and myself doing the, the commentary. And I look forward to that because it's a new, new partner. I had, you know, Amy Dumas at Lita, better known to some. Mm-hmm. She and I called uh, 16 matches on Friday, Thursday night and 14 matches wow. on Friday for the for the May Young live to tape. 30 matches in two nights. How was that? Because so I mean, I'm, I'm, Lita has not a, does not have major commentary experience, you know. And you're and you're like you said. I mean, you're, you're not on Raw every week anymore. You're kind of jumping in, and I'm sure seeing a lot of the people in that tournament for the first time. Uh, how was how was that? How was the learning curve there? It was uh, excellent, and I'll tell you why it was excellent. Uh, the emotional investment that we all made in that tournament uh, was at varied levels and at different timing. When I got to uh, Orlando, and I had that that Long Beach experience fresh in my mind, which again, and I'll, I'll put the heat on me. I, I did. I, I should have. I should have had a better weekend, and I could have done something about that. But I did, again, but I'd known the whole lay of the land. If somebody had communicated with me these apprehensions or these concerns, I'm sure a lot of things could have been addressed a little bit differently. That didn't happen. So I'm moving on to another event now. I'm thinking, well, it's another. It's a big event. Thirty-two women representing thirteen countries. I, I got as much, uh, I got background on them. I got, I looked at, uh, found matches online. But uh, a lot of them, as you said, I didn't have a, a, any familiarity with whatsoever. So then on Monday and Tuesday, we had like a 15-hour day, and a 13-hour day, something like that on Monday and Tuesday because we had to interview all 32 women individually. No cameras, no audio in a little room with Lita, Medusa, and myself, and the talent. During that Monday-Tuesday process, I saw the damnedest array of emotions and absolute total honesty from these talents. That, And I've said this to people, and my, my, my gender may not be... Uh, uh, not be too crazy about this next statement, uh, but my the, the, no men, no thirty, no group of thirty-two men would have been as honest as those group of thirty-two women. Just not going to happen. Not in wrestling. Sorry, 
Now, don't mind me. I'll stereotype. Yep, the men are not as the men's egos and their and their they were, they're going to show their vulnerability, uh, all these things. The women showed all of it, and they had passion. They cried. There were tears of joy, tears of apprehension, uh, tears of sadness because some important family member was not there to see this, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So by the time Thursday and Friday rolled around, and we had those 30 matches to do in two nights, I had fully invested into the whole cause of equality, opportunity, and uh, the chance of a lifetime for these women who grew up as wrestling fans, uh, by and large, and who has just as much right to live, live their dream as any male. So by the time we got to work on Thursday night and Friday night, I was uh, I was all in, and and it's because of their the women's passion and my partners, my my broadcast partner Lita and our backstage interviewer Medusa were totally over the top on this whole thing. So you're, the answer is in this diatribe here or this uh, soliloquy. Lita's passion pulled her through everything and made her lack of experience in that particular world uh, work because she cared immensely about the product. And we didn't, none of us had the old dog in the hunt type thing because she's fallen in love with these talents. They're somebody's daughter, man. And I got a 40-year-old daughter and a 35-year-old daughter. And even and we had a couple of 36-year-old women in this tournament and some 20-year-old women in the tournament. I felt like, you know, I, I felt a kinship to them. And I know it sounds hokey, corny, I, whatever, you know, so be it. But if you were in my position and you saw how much being in this tournament meant to these people, uh, and for a variety of real, legit reasons, I can promise you, Sam, knowing your sensibilities, you would have felt the same way. Almost, you, you would have said, I'm going to give my... This I want to kick ass. I'm going to give more than I ever thought I would need to for this tournament. This is so important to these people. I've got to rise to the occasion and be really, really good if I can. And I thought that Lita and I did a solid job. And look, it's already on tape, man. So when you hear it on August 28th when they start airing these shows, you can say, well, JR was right. You know, they sound pretty good. Or, well, you know, it wasn't bad, but I, I thought it might be a little better. Whatever. It's all subjective anyway, right? I mean, how the, yeah. like this podcast. Yeah. I think we're having a pretty good conversation. I might say, geez, these guys are, are they both high? What's wrong with them? <laughs> yeah, you can't control all of them. Um, do, are there any specific uh, women on the show that you think we should be on the lookout for? Or was there one or two women that stuck out as like, okay, this is special? I think the, the answer uh, is a somewhat convoluted yes. I hate to single out anybody, then they not get signed or whatever. Here's what I believe. <clears throat> there very easily could be, of the 32 that are in the tournament, at least 10 get signed. And I think that's kind of uh, astonishing. I would have thought going in, in, you know, in, my, in my talent relations guy mind, gosh, you can find three or four or five keepers out of these 32, that would really be good. And I think after seeing them work, uh, seeing them in the ring, being around them uh, on, for those that week, that uh, there's a good chance that there, there could be as, uh, as many as 10, maybe more, maybe a, a little less. But if somebody said the WWE signing 10 of those May Young women, 
I won't be surprised. Wow. There's a lot of good quality, and they give them match time to, you know, each show has got. I think I think if I'm not mistaken, on the original edit that I, that I think they were talking about, there'll be four matches per show. So we'll work through the first round, and then you know, so all the first round, the second round, and the quarterfinals and the semifinals were all done in, in Orlando, and so then the finals will be done live uh, in, in September. I think it's September the 11th or 12th, something like that. The Tuesday night in September, uh, and uh, on right after on the, on the network live live. So uh, that's how it's going to culminate. But it's a, it's a fun thing, you know. The, a tournament is organically episodic. This is a single elimination tournament. So even though the matches are quote-unquote cold, as far as individual rivalries are concerned, uh, it was all of them were fighting for something. If you lose, you're done. Simple as that. If you advance like March Madness, you move the next round. And uh, so that's kind of what... Uh, how I looked at it, there's there's something at stake for all these matches. So uh, it, it, it added a little sense of urgency to our call. But I thought uh, Lita did a great job. I haven't seen Medusa's backstage interviews, but considering that she was working and on her feet all day after getting her knee replaced, which is she's tougher than hell. Let me tell you, she's a, she is tougher than a two dollar steak, is uh, is Debbie Michelli. And uh, I mean. Her knee was looked like a uh, cantaloupe. She gutted it out, didn't, didn't complain, worked right through it. And uh, because being involved in this tournament for her, considering how she got in the business and how she was treated in her era when she was young and vibrant, being treated like crap by and large, most women were. Uh, they were objects, and a lot of wrestlers didn't have a lot of respect for women, unfortunately. And the promoters had even less at times. So uh, it's a whole new world for them. And she sees that. And like she and I, and I hired Lita, and, and I work with Medusa and WCW and in WWE. She's been a friend of mine forever. You know, they, they took up this cause. And I felt a, a kinship to them, and I went right with them, and uh, I had no regrets. It was pretty damn cool, man. I think, I think you're going to like it. Because you're going to hear, you're going to you're going to get background on these people. We didn't have to we didn't have to maintain Sam, and we we're obligated to talk about Twitter, what's trending, next week's show, what's happening later, blah blah blah. It was all focused on bell to bell, what's on your monitor. Right. And so we told that story, background information on all these talents. But you know, there's there's talents there of all sizes, all ages, great athletic backgrounds, world class soccer players. Uh, one of the more intriguing uh, 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 prospects uh, to keep your eye on in the future uh, is a, a young woman that was a, a Marine. And she was not only a Marine, she was the only female SWAT team member in her Marine uh, uh, group. And the real deal. I mean, she's a, a drill sergeant type uh, training, uh, combat training, survival training. 26 or 7 years old, beautiful blonde woman, and uh, but her background is so amazingly diverse and unique that it's you want to know more about her. And when you see her, and you see she's athletic and she's hot, 
then he said, gosh, this is a great story. So I don't know how all the pieces will eventually come together and connect to make a, a nice image, but the pieces are there for many of these women to be extremely, extremely good. And then you look at them, and of course, the old booking way. I'm thinking, okay, who would top, who's the top female in, in WWE? Well, Charlotte, but by the estimation of many, including mine. So you look at look at it as a booker would look at it. I wonder how this talent would match up with Charlotte. That, that type of thing. So you look at all these potential opponents for the women, the incumbents that are on the on the roster. You know, Becky Lynch, Addie, and, and uh, Sasha. All those Bailey. All those real good, good talents. Uh, you know, uh, are are there? Uh, so they, they found. I, I just saw opponents. A lot of new opponents. A lot of new matches. And so, you know, hey, I, that's how I hired Mick Foley. Yeah. I needed an opponent for the Undertaker. And <laughs> he was the guy. And it worked out. It did. certainly did. Well, man, I could talk to you. I could talk to you forever about this stuff. Uh, I want you, though, to let people know, of course, uh, JR's podcast is one of the best wrestling podcasts out there. And, and he's been at it longer than a lot of us has. He was one of the, the early ones in the game. But for those of you, I would hope most of you already subscribe to it. For those of you that don't, uh, you can get JR's podcast on iTunes and on Podcast One. But where are you going to be uh, SummerSlam weekend? Well, I'm uh, doing some more road shows, Rick's out with Jim Ross shows. I'm doing one uh, on Thursday night, August 10th in uh, Baltimore, or excuse me, in D.C., uh, next door to Baltimore. Uh, I'm going to be doing... Uh, DC Improv on Thursday night, August 10th. And then I'm going to be doing a, a ringside show to kind of kick off SummerSlam weekend in the uh, in New York City at the Gotham Comedy Club. That's going to be Friday night, August the 18th. And both those venues still have tickets available. VIP with the meet and greet, the photo ops, pre-show, little get-together. The VIP tickets, I think, the way to go. Uh, but of course I would. They cost more than the others, but you know I'm, I'm also capitalist. Uh, but the uh, so there DC coming on the 10th, and then eight days later the 18th in New York City. Uh, and I've played New York City before. Never the Gotham Comedy Club. Uh, I know that's an intimate venue. Yeah. Uh, there's not overabundance of seats. I've got a very very special uh, guest that's going to join me for that show. That that and we've been playing this for a long long time, and uh, so that's going to be. Extremely exciting for me. And then I got a show coming in Boston in, in December. We've got plenty of time to talk about that. So uh, these shows are big for me because, it, again, I kind of let the kid out of the bag. I, I, I get to interact. I get to perform. I get to have, I get to be around people that, that care for me, and then they know I care for them. It, again, it may sound like I'm writing a country song for my friend Toby Keith or something, but if these are times, Sam, that unless you're in my shoes, it's hard to, under, to understand maybe where I'm coming from for some, but being around wrestling fans, they've been, and I've been a wrestling fan for all, my entire life, and being around people that have supported my career since I started, seemingly, is uh, a damn good feeling. It's good to be around that. So uh, I'm excited about those shows. And, you know, I hope that maybe I get to call something at uh, uh, NXT TakeOver in Brooklyn. You know, who knows? Vince may want to use me at SummerSlam. I don't have any idea. Uh, you know, maybe I could sit in with the Russians or something. I don't know. I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> Wouldn't that be uh, great, though? I, 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 
they're panning down the row of international announcers and you're just standing there with them? Hey, guys. Yeah. Just move down. Move down and have, have uh, uh, Rosetta Stone on my app. Have Rosetta Stone app. Jump in and say a couple. Uh, it's, it's, uh, so it's going to be a fun weekend. It's going to be a great card. You know, I, I like the main event. Uh, the four-way, I think, is really smart booking. Uh, and there's a lot of ways to skin the cat in that one. And so people can do their armchair booking. So it should be a terrific weekend. And, and you know, you're always invited to come to my shows. You, you know, any, we've worked together. I've always enjoyed it. And so anything you need from me, you know, it's just a phone call and we'll get it done. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, man. I'll definitely uh, – I may try to make that Friday show at Gotham because I've been to – Gotham is a great venue. I mean, you want to get up close and personal with uh, with JR and you're in New York that weekend, make sure you get tickets to the Gotham show. Um, and uh, if you're not in New York but you're in D.C., you get tickets to the show eight days before. Uh, I'll probably try to make it out yeah. to that Friday show, but either way, I'm sure I'm, sure I'm going to see you uh, SummerSlam weekend. Uh, thanks so much for coming on, man. I always love I love talking wrestling with you. I appreciate you, Sam. You're doing a great job, and you, you give uh, nice, thought-provoking content uh, within the envelope. You know, we that's, we're all produced. There's sometimes even if you're not produced, you know the rules of engagement. Right. You know, I I understand that that machine there as well as anybody, uh, and I'm I'm just really glad that I'm not being I'm not. I don't have my egos in check. It hasn't always been, by the way. <laughs> that I, uh, I don't. I don't. I'm not jonesing to get back on Raw or SmackDown. I'm not jonesing to get back on the road to do anything in my life every week. Uh, so I really am cool with my schedule. Uh, if we do some work for the uh, on the network or the UK or whatever it may be, I'm, I'm cool with that. You know. Uh, I'm glad to see Morrow back and his uh, on, yeah. on NXT has a good fit for him, you know. And he's he's very unique talent and, and does a does a stellar job without question. I saw him the other day down in uh, that week. We're down in in, in in Orlando, and I thought, boy, this poor bastard looks like he's wore out. And I didn't know he. I guess he had done something in LA that took a red eye into Orlando. Huh. Then he was there at the deal, but he's. He works his ass off, man. So I admire guys with a great work ethic. He's very talented. So <clears throat> WWE's got a, a good crew there, you know. And uh, as you well know, you know all those guys. Oh yeah. You know they don't they don't need they don't need what I do, uh, and I'm happy with that. I I love the new projects, and uh, I love the May Youngs and the, the takeovers and all these new things to work with new people. Uh, that's good for me. It's a, it's a kind of a little bit of an adventure, and you know. You've been discussing this. You've been around great radio teams that are no longer. Yes. Uh, and things change. And you got to continue to reinvent Sam. Right. How does Sam, how does Sam stay relevant and viable? Uh, and that's your challenge. But that's what we do. Yeah. And when you're 65 point. like I am, you just continue to reinvent, man. That's all. Yeah. Well, it's great, man. It's inspiring to see you reinvent. And uh, I, I can't wait to see what's next. Thanks so much, man. Sam, I appreciate you. Appreciate the time, and I'll see you hopefully at the Gotham Comedy Club. Absolutely, I'll talk to you soon. All right, buddy. Thanks. All right. Here is Sam Roberts. Man, I love talking to Jr. I really could talk to him about wrestling uh, at, at any point in the day, and he's one of those guys that you end up on the phone with for an hour or two, 
and have no idea where the time went. I hope that was as interesting for all of you as it was for me. I find JR to be a very interesting guy. He he is such an important figure in this world of of wrestling in so many different ways, depending on how you look at it, as the voice of the Attitude Era, as the voice of the pre-Attitude Era, if you grew up with Southern wrestling, as uh, the head of talent during a time when talent was at its peak in WWE, as a guy who survived all the landmines and is still living to tell the tale today, as a guy who is still giving his take on the world of wrestling and being involved in it through the Mae Young Classic, through the match that he called at WrestleMania, through the match that he called at NXT TakeOver. Uh, So much joy I have talking to JR, and I hope that uh, all of you guys support him, especially now, as, you know, the guy's lost the love of his life, and what he's got left, the other love, is pro wrestling. So if you guys could send some love some way, uh, his way, I'm sure that JR would greatly appreciate it. Um, As you heard in the interview, JR is doing a big event Friday, Friday night of uh, SummerSlam week, I've got, I'm I'm working on a couple things, okay? And I would love to gauge your interest. Next week, it's all about, you know, I'm trying to lock down venues, trying to lock down talent, trying to lock down all this stuff. This is what I need to gauge your interest in. This is what I'm looking at doing. I'm just going to be honest with you guys. As I said before, if I get the details If it takes less than a week for me to finalize the details and get the word out there, I will send out an email blast to my email list. So be on it, notsam.com. Click the mail list and put your email address in there. I don't spam anybody. You don't get emails very often. It's just whenever I'm doing something or whenever I need to notify the Not Samsonites or you, the Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast listeners, about stuff that's going on. So be on that email list so you can be informed of all this stuff. But here's what I'm looking at doing. I am looking at continuing the SummerSlam tradition by putting on a third annual SummerSlam show. The SummerSlam show ends up being the uh, an interview and Q&A show. It ends up being a partnership with my friends at WWE. It ends up being a partnership with my friends at SiriusXM. And it ends up being something that eventually you can enjoy as well here on the podcast. And it should be a, a free event as usual. All that said, I want to do something even bigger. And I want to gauge your interest. Let's say I'm still doing the Summer Sam event. As always, it'll be an afternoon show. It'll be exactly what it was last year and the year before. I would I would say that that's, that's pretty well going to happen, okay? Let's say that's going to happen. You tell me. Tweet me at NotSam. Put a little note on NotSam.com. Whatever you have to do to contact me. Send me a message on Facebook, Facebook slash NotSam. Whatever you have to do to contact me, and you tell me if this is something you'd like. The the Summer Sam event is not a true Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast, right? It's an interview and Q&A session that eventually gets put into the podcast. It's an amazing afternoon, and it's really cool, uh, the talent that we've gotten there in the past. That's what really makes it. How would you guys feel if the Wednesday night before SummerSlam... Somewhere in New York, I did my SummerSlam pre-show live for you guys. How would you guys feel about that? It, two events, one free. The SummerSlam pre-show might be a, a, a small ticket charge just so I can, I can make everything happen. But let's say there's, a, there's a, a, a small ticket charge on this event. 
would you guys like to come out to New York City on the Wednesday before SummerSlam and would you like to see me and a guest maybe a couple of guests it would be your podcast favorites though this would be an event about Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast I would bring on the people who have made the biggest impact I feel here on the wrestling podcast you get to meet us it'd be a whole great thing would you like it and would you buy a ticket to the SummerSlam pre-show podcast I'd, I'd put it out on on you know the regular podcast feed the next day but you'd be able to be a part of it live there'd be audience interaction there'd be meet and greets there'd be merch there'd be the whole deal is that something you'd be interested in coming out and seeing the SummerSlam pre-show uh, live and in the f- flesh? Would you buy a ticket? Let me know because right now that's what that's what I'm concocting in my head. That's what I'm talking to various different people about is putting on two shows the week of SummerSlam, one paid and one free. The summer, the, the, the show with the WWE talent on it, that would just be my gift to you guys. I just like doing that. I like putting on the free show. I like, you know, that that's my way of giving back and saying thank you guys for supporting me as much as you do. Would you like me to add an event? You would buy a ticket and you would get to see the SummerSlam pre-show live. I think it'd be really, really fun to do. And and the guests that I am building for that show, I think you'd really, really, really enjoy. So you tell me, hit me up, Twitter, Facebook, notsame.com, whatever you want to do, and let me know if that's something that you'd like. Now. Before we get any further, why don't we delve right into the state of wrestling. I was at Battleground this weekend. A lot happened on Raw and SmackDown. So much to get into, so let's get into it. It's now time for this week's State of Wrestling. You know, I've noticed a trend over the last two SmackDown pay-per-views, I think, and it's not necessarily a great trend. I feel as though... WWE is programming these great SmackDown TV shows to follow up pay-per-views that aren't necessarily getting met with the best feedback. Uh, I think it happened at the last SmackDown pay-per-view. Money in the Bank, for instance. Right? Money in the Bank. People get so upset about the ladder match. And what happens? The SmackDown after, it gets announced that there's going to be a ladder match rematch. And then the SmackDown after that, the ladder match rematch actually happens. And it's got the same result, which is Carmella, but it's done in a way where James Ellsworth is not the guy who gave her the briefcase, right? And I didn't mind that when it happened because it was, I thought it was a one-off and it was almost, it was like a make, it felt like a make good, which is, as I said, not a good habit. I mean, I guess sometimes you have to do it, but it's not a good habit because it makes you feel like what why would I watch the pay-per-view then if the the tv show can't be better than the pay-per-view the tv show has to be a commercial for the pay-per-view so when that happened I was okay with it because I'm generally okay with most stuff but also because it wasn't something that was going on habitually and I did read a lot of people saying well why why didn't this just happen at the pay-per-view why did you have to have a second match for this to happen? Why did it happen at the why didn't it just happen at the pay-per-view? And in my mind at that time I said, "Okay, I could see where they would want to have something like this happen because it draws out the storyline a little bit, it adds drama, it adds flair, and it really giving Carmella the second win 
puts legitimacy on the briefcase, giving her the first win the way they did makes her a big-time bad guy. So that I'm like, okay, I can I can see the storytelling mechanisms that are at play here in this Money in the Bank scenario. What I didn't like about SmackDown this week was that it was so good. It was such a good episode of SmackDown. And it was almost like it was done to calm everybody down from negative feedback about Battleground. Now, I have uh, I have my perspectives on Battleground. And we can actually go through match by match if you want. Some of some of the criticism I agree with, some of the criticism I I don't agree with, big surprise. New Day versus Usos I thought was a great match. Um I think it's going to be really interesting to see the New Day as tag team champions. I think if I know things the way I think I do, I don't have any inside information, but just the way things are traditionally played out, I think that the New Day it's going to end up being called into play that the feeling of of things getting stale for the new day. I think that that is going to be both observed and acknowledged on WWE TV. And I think that the new day is going to use this tag team championship run to evolve into whatever is next for the new day. And I'm excited to see that. The same way the Usos evolved, I don't think it'll be as dramatic as the Usos. The Usos are a completely different tag team than they were originally. And they're an amazing tag team now. Yeah, I, I, I love... The Usos, I think they, they feel contemporary, they feel cool, they're entertaining, and they're getting a chance to do everything. Man, I've never seen anybody wrestle in a hoodie before. He wrestled a whole match in a sweatshirt. It's amazing. I thought it was great. So that was that was a good match. Uh, let's see, what else went down? I'm not going to do it in order because I'll never remember. But um, I thought another positive was the women's Fatal 5-Way match, the Elimination Fatal 5-Way. I thought that it did a great job of telling the continuing this story of Lana and Tamina, which I don't know what it is, but it's intriguing, and it's making you care about two people that maybe you didn't care as much about before. It's making you care about Lana and Tamina that did not have all that much happening for them until right now. So I, I think that that's a really good thing. Uh, I think Natty winning was a huge surprise to most people. I like the way she won. I love I that that roll up. So she rolled up. She pulled the tights on Becky Lynch, I believe, to eliminate her. So it's okay. Okay, that saves Becky a little bit. That gives Becky a gripe, but it also saves her from actually taking the loss. Which in that case, I like. I know I've said before that you can't have these people that are losing all the time and then winning sometimes like the 50 50 stuff and i'll get into that with sasha and bailey but i don't think this was that i think this worked and i loved so i'm watching when natty did that roll-up move where it looked like she was going to roll up charlotte but she actually just slammed charlotte's the back of her head down on the turnbuckle that looked real and it felt real and the fact that she got the cover after that was great and original and and felt real and cool and 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 the idea that and and Natty versus Naomi. Let's keep in mind the SummerSlam. I think it was no, it must have just been last year. I feel like it was two years ago, but maybe it wasn't. It must have been two years ago. The SummerSlam where the women's revolution was first starting. Natty wasn't on the show. Natty wasn't on SummerSlam. It was a thing. As I, you can go back in the archives, she was on the podcast. I did an interview with her SummerSlam week, and she was in town promoting cat food. She wasn't on the show at all. 
to now look at somebody like that, who, by the way, has been a standard of quality since then and before then. That's the thing about Natty. It's not like she's on this rise. She has been performing at a certain level for so long that it almost it get it feels like it gets taken for granted sometimes. So the idea that she gets to have that victory over Charlotte, and it's legitimate. She didn't pull tight Charlotte's tights. That's a legitimate victory over Charlotte. And she gets the women's championship match at SummerSlam against Naomi. It's gonna be a hell of a match. It's gonna be an amazing moment for Natty. I'm so happy for her. And you're still saving that Charlotte match. When Charlotte finally gets a shot at the SmackDown Women's Championship, it's going to be special. So I thought the women's match was terrific. Um, Shinsuke Nakamura versus Baron Corbin. This is where the issues begin. So I actually, some people, a lot of people I read on Twitter did not like the match. When I said that I liked the match on Twitter, they accused me of being a shill again. I I liked the match. I thought, and I think Baron Corbin is a great opponent for for Nakamura. I kind of, at the pay-per-view, was kind of like, oh, this could be cool. I I could get into a Nakamura versus Baron Corbin match at SummerSlam. I like where Nakamura might be going instead, and we'll talk about that. But I could get into this. The finish was no good, though. We've had, especially at SmackDown pay-per-views, a lot of those non-finishes, whether it's an intentional count-out or a low blow or whatever it is, it seems like those finishes are happening a lot. Or the bad guy champion cheats to win or whatever it is. It's just something that feels unsatisfying, and you can do that a little bit, but you can't do it a lot. And it felt unnecessary, and it felt like a lot at the pay-per-view. So I was... I was displeased with the finish of the match but not the match itself the match itself i liked because i got this feeling from nakamura that i wasn't getting before i i felt like baron corbin brings out more of the brawler and the hard-hitting strong style of shinsuke nakamura you know dolph ziggler was more of a, a an athletic opponent whereas baron corbin is a is a is a basics brawler against nakamura and I think that that's, that's a, a big, brute, bad guy that he can do cool stuff with. And I think we saw how good it can be on SmackDown because the SmackDown match was much better and the finish was legitimate. The problem with the SmackDown match was you watch it and you go, well, why didn't you put that on the pay-per-view? I can't even follow. I can create some logic to make sense of the Money in the Bank thing. I can't create logic to make sense of the Baron Corbin Nakamura thing. Like, why not do that match at the pay-per-view the way we saw it on SmackDown? Because it was great on SmackDown. But, like, you know, you're supposed to be putting on those quality pay-per-views. That's what makes the network a draw. Um, so, I, so I think what we saw on SmackDown should have been what we saw on the pay-per-view. You know? I think that, that that's what it should have been. Uh, that And that was my issue with it. Uh, I I'm kind of intrigued as far as Sami Zayn and Mike Kanellis goes it's a, the, the the gimmick of Mike Kanellis being obsessed with his wife and taking his wife's last name and kind of you know in, implying that he's less of a man is only a good gimmick if he's like mean and and scary a little bit you know like that that he's this big softy around his wife but when his wife but when he's in the ring he can kick ass. 
If he's losing all the time, I don't know what, you know, I don't know what the intention is. Honestly, when I watch Mike Kanellis, I think to myself, with that theme music and that gimmick and everything, it could have done him, uh, it could have done him well to go to NXT for a little bit. I mean, but who knows? Maybe he would have gone to NXT for a little bit and it would have been even worse when he got to the main roster. Um, but it is, you know, I like seeing Sami Zayn win matches, of course. But it, I, I do wonder, it makes me wonder what's in store for uh, 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 Mike and Maria or Maria and Mike Kanellis. Now, let's talk about this, uh, uh, the U.S. championship. So again, Kevin Owens versus AJ Styles was a really good match at Battleground. But it did seem like, I, and, and, and who knows what happened. It seemed like something was weird with the finish of the match. Right, it seemed like something was weird with the finish of the pay-per-view match, and maybe there was just a, that was weirdness. Maybe it wasn't supposed to come out the way it was supposed to come out. Um, but the Jericho surprise on SmackDown was incredible. My guess, and and by the way, as I said, I was at Battleground. Not one person said anything about Jericho coming back on SmackDown. When I watched SmackDown on Tuesday, I was as surprised as any of you were. All of us were just as surprised as all the rest of us. Um, I don't think anybody saw that coming. And Jericho's really good about that. He could have known this was going to happen for a month. For a guy that has a podcast, for a guy that has a voice to his audience as often as Chris Jericho does, he is old school, man. Chris Jericho knows how to keep a secret. Chris Jericho knows how to work. He he respects you know, what wrestling is and can be and all this stuff. So and and the match was really good. I I was wondering. I'd love. I, I at some point soon, I'm gonna get Chris Jericho on the podcast. And one of the questions is gonna be like, do you just stay ring ready at all times now? Because for you to just jump in, and be as big a part of that Kevin Owens uh, AJ Styles triple threat match on SmackDown as he was, is remarkable. Not many people can do that, especially as hard as Jericho goes. I don't know how he does it. You know, the fact that he's like, when he's not wrestling, he's on tour, he's doing this, he's doing press, he's doing podcasts, he's doing everything, he's writing a book. Like, where do you find the time to stay ready to compete at all times, at, at, especially at that age? When you're 20, you can do that. Not too many people can do it at, at Jericho's age, and it really is remarkable, and it's a little bit inspiring. So I'm looking forward to talking to him about that at some point. Um, but my gut tells me that Jericho came back on SmackDown for one night. And it was just to make that splash. Um, I'm I'm not for passing around a United States championship, but I'll tell you, they did it the right way. If they're gonna pass that title around, you know, at least do it with a with a with a splash like that. Have Jericho surprise everybody. Make it so that AJ actually pins Jericho, so it's not like Kevin Owens is passing the title around. But I will say, I my gut watching SmackDown was that. We're going to see Kevin Owens and Shane McMahon at SummerSlam, which excites me. That is my my feeling. Again, I have no inside information. I have no idea. That is just the feeling that I got watching SmackDown when Kevin Owens was talking about treated unfairly. Really, the reason I think I felt that was because it's the exact same storyline that AJ had with Shane McMahon as they were leading up to WrestleMania. But I don't care. You know, I think Kevin Owens is going to do cool stuff with it. I don't mind if it's the exact same storyline. Sure, AJ's awesome and so is Kevin Owens. So if you're going to have two guys copying storylines, I, I, I would see those two just do the same storyline over and over and over again if those two wanted to, you know, because they'll make it different. They'll make it different every time. Uh, and, and I think a Kevin Owens-Shane McMahon match could be really, really special. 
because Kevin Owens is all about it, and and Shane McMahon is going to want to come to impress. Kevin Owens doesn't mind and wants to give the audience the impression that Shane McMahon is being brutalized and destroyed. And Shane McMahon wants that impression to be felt by the audience too. So I don't know what depths they'll go to if that match ends up happening in Brooklyn. Um, and I hope it does. I do wonder where Nakamura is going to fit in in the world title scene. You know, we heard on SmackDown. We had the flag match at Battleground, which wasn't bad, but it was kind of, you know, it was a little cookie cutter. You know, you kind of expected what happened was kind of what expected to happen, and that's that that's why I think it was received the way it was received. It was fine. You know, it wasn't it wasn't anything surprising, but it wasn't anything terrible either. Um but you know, it's interesting because I would want the first John Cena Nakamura match to be at a pay-per-view, and I mean a big pay-per-view. Because that is a big match with big world ramifications if treated the right way. But they released this poster, right? SummerSlam poster comes out. I saw it on the internet, so it could be, who knows, maybe I'm wrong. But the SummerSlam poster I saw released on the internet this week has Brock Lesnar, Roman Reigns, Samoa Joe, uh, and Braun Strowman. It's also got you know, those guys all involved in a fatal four-way for the WWE Championship. It's also got Bailey and Alexa Bliss. That's your Raw Women's Championship match. It's also got uh, Natty and Naomi, if the one I saw is correct. And it's got three more superstars on it. John Cena, Jinder Mahal, and Shinsuke Nakamura. So the question then leads you, at first, I see this and I go, oh, man, I don't want to see Nakamura be a stepping stone for, for John Cena. What if Nakamura is in a triple threat match? What if Nakamura is part of a triple threat match at SummerSlam for the WWE Championship? I mean, that would be outstanding. That would be in, an incredible thing to see. And, you know, he got a clean win over Baron Corbin. At, at, at first I saw it, I go, okay, I'm guessing... After the pay-per-view, I go, okay, I'm guessing AJ Styles versus John Cena, Nakamura versus Baron Corbin at SummerSlam. And that whole perspective changed at SmackDown. That entire perspective switched courses on SmackDown this week. I don't... You know, John Cena comes and goes. There's a good chance that John Cena won't be around after SummerSlam, right? So what if you're adding Nakamura to the mix? Jinder Mahal retains the title at SummerSlam. And going forward from SummerSlam, what if it's Nakamura and Jinder Mahal feuding for that WWE championship? And wouldn't that be interesting? And it gives it gives Shinsuke Nakamura the chance to shine in a prime, prime spot at SummerSlam. And I mean, you talk about global, right? The whole reason everybody says that Jinder Mahal is the champion of the world is because of the India connection. That's what people say. So by that same philosophy, it wouldn't hurt to have a Japanese guy in the match, right? One of the one of the most uh, uh, popular wrestlers in the history of New Japan Pro Wrestling, Nakamura. I wouldn't think it would hurt. There was a, 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 a not favorable response to the Punjabi prison match at Battleground. And 
look, the crowd in Philly was uh, unusually quiet, which is weird because when we were doing the pre-show in Philly, it was super loud. Like It was hard to hear Renee King and Otunga because people were chanting the entire time. And they were chanting whatever. They just took turns chanting all of our names. They were chanting my name at one point. They were loud. They were chanting, let's go Cena, Cena sucks, loudly. And for some reason, as the pay-per-view went on, and maybe it was because nothing sort of outside the box, oh my God, was happening, but the crowd quieted down, and they quieted down a lot during the Punjabi prison match. Now that is, it is, I have to tell you, really difficult to see the ring when you're watching a Punjabi prison match live. It is really, really tough to see it because you're taking two cages and you're putting them next to each other. So you get this crisscross effect that you can't really see through it straight on. You could see that a little bit when they were going to camera angles of it, but they had those camera people inside the cage. So you could see through it. And they were, and they, were, and they, could, they could film through the bars and everything. So it wasn't so hard to watch on pay-per-view, but it was, it was very hard to watch in person. And that affected the match greatly because you had a quiet crowd. And look, the crowd had been quiet before that match. But, and, and I think that was because it got confusing. I think because the, the audience was confused by the AJ Styles finish. The audience was uh, confused by Nakamura taking that low blow and having that match end in a DQ. Like, there were, there were some lulls in the audience that I don't think the show ever really recovered from. Um, so, they were quiet. And then... I thought that the, the, the Singh brothers' bumps were pretty spectacular. I thought they were... I mean, and they've been doing so well. They've been doing so well in their role with Jinder Mahal. They, they've actually, for me, been one of the highlights of this whole thing. I like the Jinder Mahal character. But I think he needs wins. I think the Jinder Mahal character, especially as WWE champion, needs legitimate wins. We've now watched three pay-per-views where he's taken a sneaky way out of beating Randy Orton. Now, apparently, he's not wrestling Randy Orton at SummerSlam, but there's no closure to that. He doesn't have a clean victory over Randy Orton, really. There's asterisks by everything. Based on the fact that we didn't see him on SmackDown, I'm guessing Great Khali just came in for one night. Who knows? Maybe he didn't. Uh, but that's the other thing. It was a surprise to me. I guess there have been rumors I was surprised to see him, and I didn't see him wandering around backstage at all that night. So it was a surprise. It was kind of cool when you see a surprise, but at the same time, I don't know how many people were clamoring for the great Khali to return. So all in all, I think it was just one of those nights where on paper everything was better than it ended up being. Not everything, but a lot of stuff. Um, but but Jinder, Jinder Mahal as champion needs wins. And I think that that's what they should be doing. You know, I talk on the on the podcast a lot about um, about how it's important to take some guys off TV. How sometimes you don't need to see. And I apologize if you can hear music in the background. As I said, I'm in Montreal, and that music is actually coming from the street. I pray to God that it doesn't go all night because I'm trying to sleep at some point. But regardless. Um, I, I talk about how sometimes you need to you need to get guys off TV, right? Jinder Mahal needs to win matches on TV. Jinder Mahal, in the, in the weeks we have leading up to SummerSlam, needs to have real challengers that he beats. Not Mojo Rawley. Like, legitimate 
matches. Let's have Jinder Mahal be in a match with Chad Gable. That's a really, really good match and have him beat Chad Gable. You know, let's have Jinder Mahal. Let's have him fight Baron Corbin. I know it's two bad guys, but let's have him fight Baron Corbin in a non-title match and have him beat Baron Corbin clean. Jinder Mahal has not beaten anybody clean for the champion since he won. Nobody. And and you need to do that. If you're going to walk into SummerSlam and take him seriously against John Cena and or John Cena and Nakamura, you know, I, I, I you have to go in being like, okay, this guy is a legit badass because if he can win matches, then I think it's, I think you've got something really special with this character. But if he can't win matches, then I, you know, it's been a long time. That's all I'm saying. The, the Randy Orton story was a long one and there wasn't a lot of closure involved in it. So I think that, I think that, uh, uh, that gender needs to have some work done to him. Just to have him win matches. Just have him win matches, and and people will agree with it. You know, there's there are guys. I think I watching Jason Jordan's match on Raw this week. I I had this feeling that you're gonna have to do something with him, like there there, and I believe that there is there. There's got to be a bigger storyline to this because he's good, but he's young. You know, I think that there's got to be. It can't just be Jason Jordan comes to the ring now and kicks people's asses. Because he's great. I mean, I'm a, I'm a Jason Jordan fan for sure. And I think that there's so much potential with him. So much potential. But as good as he was on the microphone in that Renee Young interview, he can convey an emotional story. And so why not have him convey an emotional story? Why not take advantage of that, you know? I think Jason Jordan should be... Uh, th- this should be a soap opera story. We should not be done with the soap opera element of this. This should be something where he's either in... Maybe he can be the new Seth Rollins. He was in Triple H's back pocket the whole time. Maybe... Uh, I don't know. He's got to do something. Maybe he thought of this this whole time. Maybe maybe Triple H isn't involved at all. Maybe this is just something Jason Jordan was being sneaky about. and Somebody's got to come in and defend Kurt Angle after that. I don't know. There's a million different directions you could go in. But... It's got to be more than just now that he's Kurt Angle's son. Jason Jordan is a badass. You know, let's show some, uh, um, what's it called when uh, when you get your kids jobs? Whatever that thing is called. When you hire your brother or whatever. Family favoritism. You know, that's not the word, but there's a word for that that I'm blanking on and I'm sure a bunch of you will tweet me. That's what I want to see. Nepotism. Nepotism. I didn't even look that up. Nepotism is what I want to see coming out of this Kurt Angle story. I want to see Jason Jordan get more opportunities that he doesn't deserve on the character on TV. Maybe we should see something where Emma dates him and all of a sudden Emma's getting women's championship matches. I wouldn't mind that. Um, But that's what I'd love to see. Look, I didn't think it would happen. But the fatal four-way at SummerSlam with Roman Reigns, Brock Lesnar, Braun Strowman, and Samoa Joe... I think it's genius on a couple levels. Number one, I thought in my head it was going to end up being Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar for the championship at SummerSlam. And to me, that wouldn't, especially in Brooklyn, it wouldn't have gotten a favorable response. And I also didn't know where you're going to go with that. Like, are you going to have Roman Reigns lose? Are you going to have the title taken off Brock Lesnar this soon at SummerSlam? Or are you going to have a non-finish, which again would just drive people insane? too many with the non-finishes then the rumors broke last week and we talked about it a little bit last week of Brock Lesnar possibly leaving WWE 
and going back to MMA. This fatal four-way is an exciting thing because if fans think about it, then the idea is that Brock Lesnar could conceivably lose the WWE Universal Championship without actually being pinned. So the championship could be taken off of him and put onto somebody else, which would free up that Universal title storyline so if in a couple months Brock Lesnar does leave, he's not leaving fresh off a championship run. If Brock Lesnar isn't leaving... You can still feed these rumors and take the title off Brock Lesnar or you can set up this red herring where people are looking into this and saying like, oh yeah, this is an easy one for Brock Lesnar to lose the title on because nobody has to pin him and then he wins it anyway and then he retains the championship anyway. There's a lot of different directions you could go in um, and I, you know, I don't know where you go. I honestly, any of those four as champion would be newsworthy and would be something worth writing home about. Uh, I think, honestly, I think it would be a real interesting choice to try Samoa Joe as champion. My gut tells me Roman Reigns will win this thing. I think maybe he'll pin Braun Strowman and finally get that thing. Maybe he'll pin Samoa Joe for the first time. But here's the thing. Here's the way I would probably go with it. Because let's be honest, it's SummerSlam. It's the biggest match of the show. You want to end with the guy that you want to make, right? And there's no doubt about it. You want to make Roman Reigns. So here's what I would probably do. I would probably have... Samoa Joe, you know, 20 minutes in, Samoa Joe's distracted with Brock Lesnar over here. Roman Reigns out of nowhere hits a spear on Braun Strowman. Roman Reigns pins Braun Strowman for the victory. What this does is it puts the championship on Roman Reigns. It ends the Roman Reigns and Braun Strowman story once and for all. And I think that Braun Strowman is still strong enough to go on to another storyline after that. I don't think it damages Braun Strowman. And I, I'm okay with him not being champion of the world yet. But I don't think that damages Braun Strowman. I think Braun Strowman is going to be one of the big good guys, honestly. I mean, I think he will be a massive good guy. I think that's what's in the cards for him. But what else this does is it gives you a scenario of Samoa Joe saying, I dominated Brock Lesnar worse than anybody has. Or more so than anybody has. I did not lose this championship match. And Roman Reigns, you've never beaten me. I see a scenario where the pay-per-view after SummerSlam, you headline Samoa Joe versus Roman Reigns for the WWE Championship. Caveat being Roman Reigns has never scored uh, a decision against Samoa Joe. That to me is compelling. Uh, it takes Brock Lesnar out of the picture. It brings the Universal Championship back into the picture, which I think is needed at the moment. And it creates this cool storyline between Samoa Joe and uh, Brock Lesnar. I mean, and, and Roman Reigns. Then you can take Baron Corbin, I mean, uh, uh, Braun Strowman, and maybe you, put, maybe you put Braun Strowman and Seth Rollins together. Maybe you start the babyface turn and you put Braun Strowman and Bray Wyatt against each other. 
Maybe Braun Strowman comes and takes out Bray Wyatt because, look, unfortunately, Bray Wyatt, that's the that's the position I think he's destined to be in, is the guy who's in the middle of the card that is uh, there to kind of just push people to the next level. Maybe he does that. Maybe maybe that's what Bray does for Braun Strowman. Maybe at the next pay-per-view after SummerSlam, Braun Strowman pins Bray Wyatt, starts to drift into good guyville, and he's got that victory, you know? And then who knows, maybe some point down the road, Samoa Joe takes the title off Roman Reigns and Braun Strowman comes for Samoa Joe after that because you've spent a few months rebuilding Braun Strowman as this amazing tough guy. I, I, I like the Fatal 4-Way just because of all the different scenarios and we can talk about it for the next several weeks, what's going to happen, what could happen. Um, I think it's interesting. Almost as interesting as what Enzo Amore's future is going to be, Right? Like, he got his ass kicked by Big Cass again. Obviously, this is a move to make Big Cass into somebody strong, you know, um, and to make him a world title contender, I think. Uh, I, I think that it, it looks like it's going to be Big Cass versus Big Show at SummerSlam. I would kind of, I, I kind of, it feels a little rushed. I would kind of like to see Big Cass beat up some little guys first before he goes right for the Big Show. Um, but it'll be interesting to see, and it'll be good to see the passing of the torch, I think. Uh, I just really wonder, like, it seems like Enzo is destined to be a manager at this point, but I don't know who he manages, you know? it's it's uh, It's got to be a weird time right now to be Enzo Amore. But we'll keep an eye on it, and we'll talk about it here on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Uh, things are looking good, you know, regardless of if you think I'm a shill. <laughs> show Robert Shill. Get that t-shirt at notsam.com slash merch. I think things are looking pretty good headed into SummerSlam. I'm very, very excited about the way things are going. I'm very excited about the live events I'm going to be doing leading into SummerSlam. Uh, I'm very, very excited about the whole thing. Thank you all for listening to another episode of this show, Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast, and we will see you once again right here next week. Thanks for listening. Follow at NotSam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And subscribe for free to listen every week to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast.